Good morning, and welcome to a new series in the epistle of 1 John. Um, I've been going through 1 John with some of the Bible study groups, and there's some really neat concepts in this epistle that I really want to highlight and share with you. I think there's something really profound in what John writes here. It's its style is so different than, for example, a theological treatise like Romans, Paul being the apostle that Jesus appointed to teach the Gentiles. Um, John, if anyone was a best friend on earth to Jesus Christ while he was here, it was John. Of all of the apostles, he's the only apostle that did not run away when he was arrested. He followed him all the way to the, to the trials and uh, he followed him to the trial in front of Pilate, and he followed him carrying the cross all the way to crucifixion. He also watched Jesus Christ die. He watched a Roman soldier prove the death by uh, being stabbed with a spear in his side. John saw him buried in the tomb, and then eventually, of course, John was one of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection. John met Jesus Christ when he was probably a young man, maybe even a, a late teenager or, or early 20s. He was young when he met Jesus. Him and his brother James, who was put to death by Herod in the book of Acts when the church was born, uh, were called kind of like a pseudonym nickname by Jesus, the Sons of Thunder. Uh, they were the ones that wanted Jesus to call down fire upon Samaritan villages for not welcoming him, welcoming him in because of the persecution that was going on in Israel proper. But he grew. He met Jesus Christ. He was one of the first, he was one of the first two disciples that met Jesus Christ. Him and Andrew met Jesus Christ, and they were the first ones to begin to follow. And his intimacy with Jesus Christ in uh, listening to his teaching and to the way he was, his first question to the, to the Lord was, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus' answer to him and Andrew was, come and see, come and see. So John got to see, and he actually starts to say this right away in his epistle. We saw him, we touched him, we heard him, and this is what we found this is what we encountered, or should I say, this is who we encountered, and it is beyond belief. In the Gospel of John, John writes uh, a little bit similar to 1 John, but it's a little different in that he says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. So they encountered somebody different in Jesus different than any other rabbi they had met, different than any other teacher. The most famous teacher of the time was Gamaliel. Um, but Jesus was different. And the apostles met him, and they experienced him on a personal level. And what they experienced is what they wrote down. And the Holy Spirit, who superintended the, writing of, the writings of the apostles containing what we call the New Testament, is the scriptures for the Christian church. They are the scriptures for this Christian church. So John is introducing some neat concepts here. 
When I became a new Christian, one of the first um, suggestions that I received was, look, don't just start reading the Bible like a regular book because you won't understand it. First, read the Gospel of John, and uh, I did that. And then I read the other epistles of John, and then I started to branch out into the rest of the Bible. But when you read the Gospel of John, the suggestion was when you do this, you're going to meet Jesus personally. You're going to meet him as a human being. And um, I found that to be really, really amazing because I didn't know Jesus the way that I grew up knowing him in a religion. In the religion I grew up in, Jesus was the man who died on the cross with a sad face and um, looking into heaven. And I didn't know him. I didn't know him. But when I started to read the Bible, especially the epistles, I mean the Gospels and the eyewitness accounts of Jesus with the apostles, I started to realize, man, this Jesus is someone different than anyone I've ever read about or, or encountered myself. That's what I started to learn. And that's what I want to encourage you to do as you look into the epistle of John 2. John, I think, and the Holy Spirit want us to see this to deepen the intimate relationship you should have with God through Jesus. So let's look and let's pray before we begin first. Um, as to authorship and authenticity and whether it's John the Apostle or not, I'm not even going to go there. It is the Apostle John, and um, he's instructing Christians. He's still alive on earth at that time, and um, he's giving instructions as an older man by now, about how to live their lives out as believers in an antagonistic world. And if any, any time is similar, it's, it's today. It's very antagonistic against Christian faith. It's very anti-Bible, anti-Christian, anti-God. And the Christian often feels like, you know, what's my purpose? Why am I here in this unbelieving world for? They don't listen to us. They don't want to hear us. They don't want to pay attention to us. So what am I here for? So in this epistle, I think you'll be encouraged. There's a lot of neat things here, so let's pray. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul, I mean John, because he's written to us what he encountered when he met you. He met you, and uh, you told uh, Thomas, you're believing in me because you saw me. Blessed are those who have not seen me and believed. Well, we believe in you, we know who you are, but to meet you as you really are and to encounter you as the person you are, we have to go to the writings of the apostles, what you are like, how you interacted, how you handled criticism, rejection, how you forgave, how you endured, how you suffered. Help us, Lord, to be instructed today in the epistle of First John. Amen. So take out your sermon notes and follow along. The word of life. We're in 1 John verses 1 through 8. The apostles, as we learn from the, the study on the church, they are the personal representatives and, if you will, the foundation teachers of Jesus Christ for our instructions. The apostles. When the church returns to the teachings, the original teachings of the apostles, and stops doubting and attacking and, and wondering if it's really from them or not, 
when the church goes back to them and reads what they wrote at the behest of the Holy Spirit and accepts that as gospel truth, then the church is brought back to point. We are living in a time where many even so-called Bible scholars and even many so-called Bible churches are turning away from the authenticity of the scriptures, and that's to the detriment of all of the people. We need to understand and believe that what we have in our hands when we look at the New Testament are the very teachings that the Lord Jesus Christ transmitted to these men for the benefit of the rest of the church. So in looking to what the apostles write and wrote and their life experience, we can be instructed, we can be corrected, we can be brought back to proper understanding of what the Lord and our relationship with him is all about. So in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he begins this way, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The gospel of John is similar in its beginning, but he uses a different approach, knowing that he's writing to Jewish audience as well as Christian. In Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the Word. He uses Genesis on purpose, the first book of the Bible, uh, to compare Jesus Christ. He does similar thing here, but it's, uh, it's more honed in as a teaching towards believers because he's identifying himself and the rest of the apostles as we who have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we're eyewitnesses, we looked at him, we touched him, our hands have, we've handled him, this we proclaim the word of life. So the apostles are making the claim that we are the personal eyewitness representatives of Jesus Christ when he appeared in human form on earth. And we're going to explain to you who we met and what he told us, okay? God's message to us is the message that concerns the essence of life itself. Philosophers have written whole books. There's courses on this when you go to college and graduate school about the purpose of life, what it is, what it isn't. Do we really exist? I saw some headline recently of some supposed new discovery that we really don't exist at all. <laughs> so there's these strange things that human beings come up with when they try to decipher what it's all about. What's it all about? What's life? Why are we here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Well, God has a message to us, and that is a message that is about the very essence of what we're about, what life really is. John has already hinted at it when he talks about the word of life, the word of life. Remember that. Keep that in mind. So in the next verse, he says, the life appeared. So life isn't a thing or a, an idea and a philosophy and a concept that's somewhere out there that we have to discover after we come into existence. He's saying that life itself is its own entity. Life appeared. Um, the Bible talks about God in many ways. God is love. God is light. God is living water. Here, John is saying God is actually life. Life appeared. The life appeared. 
Now he uses the definite article, the, the life appeared. Well, what life? The essence of life itself appeared. When you look at God, when you meet the Lord, who you meet and what you meet is the very essence of what existence is. Without the existence of God, everything doesn't make any sense at all. Everything seems kind of senseless and pointless. People many times despair in, in being atheistic and agnostic because there's no God, so what's this all about? Why strive? Why, do, why try to live? Why try to be good or bad? What's this all about? So suicide rates have gone off the charts and there's a lot of questioning on, on what life is and what it's all for. But when you begin with the understanding that life is a person, life is not a thing or a concept or a thought or a philosophy, life is a person and this life appeared. Then he says, we the apostles, we saw it, we saw this life and we testify, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. We the apostles testify, call us to court, we'll bear witness. We proclaim to you, extra, extra, read all about it. We met life, the eternal life, we met, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So he says life appeared. And he hasn't yet used the name Jesus. He hasn't yet identified the person. He's using a, if you will, a concept, life itself. We met life and we met life in a person. And we met in this person eternal life. When we met the Lord Jesus Christ, we met some, someone of a more profound nature of anyone else that's ever been met before. We met eternal life, which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. He's going to develop this, so don't worry and don't get lost in it. I'm just, I love the way this is uh, uh, given to us in Scripture because I think we can really learn some cool, uh, very profound uh, spiritual truths if we listen. And if you're asking the Lord, Lord, please help me to understand what is being said here in scriptures? That's a way you should approach all scriptures because all of God's words are, are of an eternal nature. Therefore, you can never plumb the depths of what is said. Uh, you can never understand fully and completely the word of God because God is eternal and anything he does or anything he says is eternal. So the life appeared. Jesus appeared. He is life. He is eternal life. And he appeared to the apostles. Now, God invites us now. You're not an eyewitness. You didn't see him personally. You didn't touch him. You didn't behold him. But God invites us now into a fellowship. So John introduces another concept, the concept of life um, and eternal life and appearing in human form. Now, he's, he's going to reveal to us this invitation to fellowship. The word is synonymous with communion. Um, I was surprised to find out that it even, the word communication comes from the word communion, which is interesting to me because when you think of communion, you think of it in terms of religious activity instead of this relationship, this intimacy with God a communion, a coming into an understanding of who he is and what is true and who is true. 
an eternal relationship. So let's look. We proclaim to you, the next two verses, we the apostles, we're proclaiming. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. We were eyewitnesses. We met him. We talked to him. We lived with him. We laughed with him. We ate with him. We slept so that you may also have fellowship with us. So it's an invitation. We proclaim this to you. What? We met him. And whom we met was life and eternal life. And now we're telling you about him so that you also can meet him and have a communion with him. That word here, so that you may have fellowship with us. Keep that word fellowship in mind. Our fellowship, our communion, our communication with God is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. So it's an invitation by God through the apostles who met Jesus Christ personally to come into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which will bring you into what the Bible calls koine, koinonia, fellowship, communion, communication with, intimacy with this God, this life. So the message of life is based on one essential truth. Life isn't philosophical, like I said. Life isn't an idea only. It isn't a concept. Um, I think that's where human philosophies and human attempts to understand the significance of, of what life is and the essence of what it is miss the boat because of the denial of the existence of the eternal being called God then there is only left to them concepts that they think are eternal concepts. God is eternal. All other thoughts, all other realities are there because of his eternality. The message of life is based in one essential truth. And that essential truth is really important. God is light. God is light. Now, why is this an important truth? Why must you believe this foremost. So John says this in the next verse. This is the message we the apostles who saw him, we touched him, we heard him, we met eternal life. This is the message, watch what he says here, we the apostles have heard from him. So when they met this eternal life, when they met Jesus Christ, what did they learn? What was John is boiling it down to an essence, the essential message. God is light. We declare this message to you. God is light. And coupled with that message, here's the hand and glove part of it. In him is no darkness at all. So in the Bible studies and in my own thinking, I started to ask the question, why is John distilling it down to just this? Here's the essence of the message. God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. So what is light? Well, light is illumination. Light allows you to see things. Darkness is the absence of illumination. Now, that's physical. That's a physical uh, explanation of a spiritual truth. God is light. He is light. He doesn't have light. It isn't that light emanates from him per se. Light is God. God himself is light, just like the Bible says God is love. 
It's not that he has love, he is love. He is the epitome of everything that is worth thinking about. God himself is love, God is life, God is light. In him no darkness. Why must we begin here? Why must we begin with this concept that he is light and there's no darkness? Well, in my thinking, just as a finite human being and in hearing and thinking thoughts myself, the human thought arises, if there's a God, then why is there evil? Why is there bad things? Why are there evil things like cancer and deaths and disasters and, and murderers and, and, uh, and cancers and strokes and heart attacks and infant mortality and the list goes on and on and on. Why was there Auschwitz? Why was there genocide? Why was there all of these different things that we look at in, in human experience and we say, if there's a God, why is all of that here too? So the human tendency is to say, God, you're a God of good and bad. Bad is from you and maybe good is from you too. Many people have decided, well, since there's so much evil all around us, then I'll believe that there's actually no God at all because there's evil, so therefore there's no God. So they're making a giant error. In order to begin with a relationship to God, you must start with the right premise. God is light. He has no evil. We're speaking spiritually here. He has no evil. There is no darkness. There is no shadow, it says, of changing with him. God is absolute purity, light, no sin, no error, no fault. We cannot conceive of it because everyone around us, including ourselves, we have been tainted with imperfection. There is darkness around us, and if we're honest, there's darkness inside of us as well. So you must be careful not to project that onto this being called God because the Bible declares he is absolutely free from all tainting of sin and darkness. He is light. If you don't begin with this premise, you cannot move forward in a relationship with him. You can't because if you take the position that God is at fault for evil, i.e. there's darkness, then you can't believe in the right God. Some religions have actually started to teach in human interpretations that it's a balance of good and bad in the God or gods of the universe, that they're good and they're bad. The Bible never says that of God. The Bible always says God is absolute light, absolute purity, absolutely unassailable in this. You must begin here in order to have a proper relationship with God. And he's going to actually detail this out more for us as we go on in the passage. So the first part of the message, God is light. Well, this is the message we met. When we met him, this is the message we learned. Boiling it down to essence, it's this. God has no fault. None of the evil in the world is his fault. None of the sin in the world is his fault. None of the failure in religion or in human behaviors, it's not his fault. It is not, you cannot in honesty bring a legitimate charge against the Almighty and blame him for evil. Now you might say to me, well, I can find you a scripture passage. Find it for me and I'll refute it for you. Because even though the scriptures do say in Isaiah the prophet that I am God, I create light, I create darkness, what he means is he is sovereign over all of the affairs of the world. He allows in his sovereignty things to occur. 
It's not that he's unaware of the evil that's happening in the world. He is. He knew about Auschwitz. He knew, knows about genocides. He knows about abuse. He knows about slavery. He knows about all of the evil things that, any, that have ever happened under the sun. He knows. You say, well, if he's God, then why doesn't he stop it? He has. He has stopped it. It's just that you and I aren't yet in eternity. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning. You're not where we're all destined to go if you're one of his to where all things have been resolved. He has definitively dealt with evil and actually stopped it. It's in the scriptures. He has dealt with it. It is over. We live in linear time and thereby we judge him because in our linear time, we look around us and we see all of this sin, all of this evil. And we say, if there's a God, where is he? You're making a mistake because you're judging eternity by just this little temporal time. God has already dealt with all things. He is light. There is no darkness. So relationship to God is vetted in relationships to others. Aha. So now he's going to start getting into some nitty gritty here because up to this point, it almost is, it's almost philosophical in the way he's been teaching us about life and eternal life and God and light and darkness. It's, it's not really personal yet, but now it's going to get personal. Relationship to God, it's vetted. It's, it's proven. We talk about vetting people when we look for a candidate for a job, see what their background is. Are they the right person? God and our relationship to him is actually vetted. And the way it is vetted is in the way you relate to others around you. Say, well, how can you say that? Well, I'm not saying it. The scriptures are saying it. John then says this. He moves quickly to this. If we, notice how he uses the pronoun we. We is inclusive. It means me and you. I'm an apostle and I am one of the ones that's an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. Uh, I'm an apostle. But I have to include myself in this because it's not like if I arrived and I'm done with problems and sin and uh, now it's your turn to figure it out. He's including himself. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. And I like that John does this. Instead of being top down, he's including himself. We lie and do not live by the truth. So deception, that's what a lie is. A lie is a, a falsehood. But self-deception, self-falsehood is the worst kind to be in because you don't even know you're in it. So, I know God, we claim. I have a relationship to God. I have fellowship with God. I believe in God. But we walk in darkness, we lie, and do not live by the truth. Okay, what's he talking about? If we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship. It doesn't say here with God. Notice what it says. We have fellowship with one another. What do you mean fellowship with one another? I thought I was talking about a relationship with God. In order to have fellowship with God, I must have fellowship with others. Why? Uh, more on this in a minute. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Ah, so there's darkness. Remember, we just read that there's no darkness in God. Okay, there's no evil in God, but yet there's darkness. If we claim we know God, but we're in darkness, then we're, it's an oxymoron. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. So we must walk in light as he is in light. But how do I do that? Because I have sin. 
when you have fellowship with God and one another, then the blood of Jesus, his son, will purify us from all sin. Okay, so for the first time, Jesus is mentioned here by name. Why? Because he is the one that is making it possible for any human being, any sinner, to initiate, have a relationship, maintain a relationship with God and other people. I'll show you. It's really cool stuff. Sustained relationship with God is based upon a confession. There's got to be a confession. We learned this in the study on the Church of the Living God, that Jesus said, I'll build my church, my eternal church with this, the confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which infers that what you have done for me on the cross is what I need for the forgiveness of my darkness, my sin. So let's look. If we claim to be without sin, he's saying this again. He notices he includes himself again. If we claim to have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we're not being truthful. If we claim not to have sin, we deceive ourselves. There it is again. We deceive ourselves. Self-deception is really, really difficult to see. You might think that you are totally right in what you think and how you think. But I pose the question to you, what if you're wrong? What if your thinking is wrong? What if your whole premise for the way you look at life and God and everything is not in a correct place? You could be in self-deceit. You could be in the wrong premise. You could be starting out from the wrong platform. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What truth? What's this thing about truth that he's now talking about? What truth? Truth. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this is the second time now that he talks about something called sin, which is synonymous with darkness. What is sin anyway? What's the essence of sin? Well, it is this failure to be in the light that God is in. It is the failure to be in the kind of condition that God exists in. It's called sinlessness. Well, none of us can approach sinlessness, but through Jesus Christ, sinlessness, if you will, is possible, if you will, through what he can do for you. It is possible, but only through him. It's not through human striving. It's not through um, religious effort, not by works so that any man may boast. It is by gift of God. So in order to begin relationship, you must first confess, God, you have no sin. You're not to blame for sin in the world or in me. Now you might say, okay, I was a kid and I was in this horrible family and I got abused and so it's all God's fault. Where was God when I was being abused? Where was God when I was living in this horrible situation? God's always been there. And if you're still alive and you're still able to question it all, now you can find out that God really was always there. He was never telling anyone in your family or in your circles to do evil to you. He was never doing that. He never, ever instructs anyone to do evil. So it's not his fault. Evil is not his fault. Let's lay the blame where the blame actually belongs. That's what John is telling us. If you claim to be without sin, if you say God is sinful, God is dark, then you can't begin, you can't have the first step. You must first acknowledge God is light, in him is no darkness, and I have sin. I have imperfection. That's 
important for me to begin my relationship with God. I must first confess, I have darkness, I have imperfection. Therefore, when I do this in honesty, because no one can do it for you, then he will forgive and purify you from all unrighteousness. So let's move on. Failure to confess this truth that there's sin and it's not God's fault, it's in man and it's also in me. Failure to confess this accuses none other than God. That's why many people shake their fists at God. There is no God. If there was a God, then why this? Why that? And the atheistic, agnostic spirit that has taken over much of the world comes from this um, attitude of people towards the evil all around us in human history that in some way they think gives them the, the right to deny the existence of God. Failure to confess that there is sin in us and that the fault is ours is to accuse God. In other words, God, it's your fault. It's not our fault. If you are really who you say you are, there's evil in the world, therefore it's your fault. Instead of saying, God, you know what? I did the stupid thing. You never told me to do it. You actually told me the opposite, but I went and did it anyway. You see the difference here? Who is the one that told you to do wrong? God, the God of the Bible? Read the Bible. Where in the Bible does God ever tell anyone to do evil? Nowhere that I can see. Oh, I've read in the Bible that God said to do this and do that. We're talking about apples and oranges there. When God was instructing Israel about certain things, about war and about what to do, about certain sins, that's a whole different thing. God does not instruct people to do evil. He does instruct his people how to handle evil that happens. That's called law. Now, coming back to this, failure to confess this truth that I have sin is to accuse God. So John continues, if we claim that we have not sinned, let's say it this way, if we say there's no sin, I don't do anything wrong, I'm not a bad person, um, compared to Hitler, I'm a really good person. Well, compared to Hitler, anybody's a good person, okay? So that's the lowest common denominator. Don't compare yourself to that. Compare yourself to the highest common denominator. How far off the mark are you? Maybe you haven't done the big bad ones, but Jesus had to confront people who in their mindset hadn't done big bad sins. So he would tell them things like, okay, how do you think? Do you think evil in your heart? and hate towards another human being, and if you could get away with it, would you kill them? Do you think lustful thoughts towards another human being and want to use them for your own pleasure? That's, that's called adultery. If you think hate, that's called murder. It all begins in the heart. So when he says here, if we claim we have not sinned, he's saying if you deny what the Bible calls the sin nature that we're all, we're, we are all born with, when Jesus met Nicodemus, he told him, these things are ABCs in the scriptures. You don't understand them, and you're the teacher of Israel, that any man or woman must be born again, that we are born in sin and we need a new birth. If we claim that we haven't sinned, we make him, God, out to be a liar. We're projecting blame to him and his word the word of reconciliation, the word of forgiveness has no place in our lives. You cannot begin a relationship with God by blaming God. 
you begin a relationship with God by blaming the right place, placing the blame where it belongs, on you, and saying to him, it's my fault, like the one thief on the cross, we are here, he tells the other thief, because of our behavior. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he cries out to the Savior, could you please remember me? You must come to that place, and then you'll begin this wonderful relationship that John's really starting to barely scratch the surface of here in 1 John. Now let's pray. Lord, I, I do not know if I have adequately covered this. I'm only trying to help people to understand the profound nature of the relationship that you're calling us into, the communion that we can have with you through the teachings of the apostles whom you taught personally, that you are not at fault for all of the sin and evil in the world and even in me and my family, that sin is here because of disobedience. Sin is here because men and women decided to not listen to you. Help us, Lord, to put right uh, responsibility where it belongs. Confess our sins, seek for your forgiveness, receive your forgiveness, and enter into fellowship with you and with one another as people who have each been forgiven as sin as anyone else. More on that next week. I just pray that the Lord would use the instruction of the Holy Spirit and the Word to encourage you towards more, uh, a more profound, intimate walk with Jesus Christ as John the Apostle found when he met you. In Jesus' name, amen.